All right, babe, let's take a moment to correct our posture, take a deep breath, and have some pure spectrum CBD. Sure. Hey, sisters, CBD can help with acne, inflammation, anxiety, sleep, and so many other PCOS symptoms. I personally take it throughout the day to help keep my stress hormones nice and low. Not to mention, I sleep like a baby every night and I don't wake up fatigued at all. Now open your mouth, please, so I can give you a serving. Ah. Uh... Now hold it for 60 seconds. Head over to PureSpectrumCBD.com and use the code THESISTERHOOD, one word, for 10% off. Can I stop now? Nope, you got 30 more seconds. Doctor said you got PCOS, now go on girl, just lose some weight. Till I took the symptoms into my own hands and reversed them naturally. So I became a dietitian and helped my sisters feel the best they've ever felt. Take a step in my direction if you wanna prove them wrong and take control of yourself. Join a sister and a Hey everyone, today on the podcast, we're going to talk about fertility with Dr. Mark Ratner. We go into details about how IVF works and its success rate for women with PCOS. We also talk about prenatal supplements and why it's important to pick the right type of prenatal based on where you are in your PCOS pregnancy journey. We even discuss prenatal options that are available to you. Hope you enjoy. Hello, sisters. Welcome to this episode of the podcast. We have Dr. Mark Ratner back on the uh, back on the podcast. And today we're going to talk about fertility with PCOS. We're going to talk about Dr. Mark Ratner's experience with treating IVF patients, as well as how to help women um, achieve fertility through natural supplements that are over the counter and much more. Uh, for those that don't know, Dr. Mark Ratner is a fertility doctor. He is the inventor of Ovacetol and Theralogix. And uh, Dr. Mark Ratner, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks, guys. Of course. So uh, we should just start, start off the podcast by um, asking you first, um, could you tell us about your experience working with IVF patients who have PCOS? Sure. So um, women with PCOS who are hoping to conceive um, are faced with the obvious challenge of not really being able to predict when they're going to ovulate. Okay. If their periods are extremely irregular, um, trying to time intercourse, um, trying to figure out when they're fertile, when they're not, becomes near impossible. Mm -hmm. um, and so there's really two approaches that, that one can take. One can try to restore a more predictable ovulatory kind of schedule, okay? In which case, if there are no male factors, in other words, if the, if the male partner's fertility is normal, um, you know, in any given month, here's a statistic that you may not know, in any given month of trying where the male and the female, the man and the woman both have normal fertility, the chances of conception are only 15 to 20%. Mm -hmm. So this is why we say, when we say what's infertility, you know, is a couple infertile. Technically the definition is a full year of trying to conceive without a pregnancy. Um, and so now that's basically when we then suggest, okay, go start seeing some professionals, okay? Typically the first doctor that, that is on the list is gonna be the woman's OBGYN, 
But in the case of, of a woman who has PCOS and extremely irregular ovulation, irregular periods, it's not going to be a mystery as to why she probably hasn't conceived. And so one approach is to try and restore uh, normal, regular menses uh, and have her ovulate on a very more, much more predictable uh, schedule. Um, but that does take patience. And so and it, it's not something that can happen typically as quickly. It sometimes doesn't happen as quickly as treatment might occur and, and uh, ovulation might occur in a fertility clinic. Mm-hmm. Now, fertility clinics have basically two tricks that they use. They're not really tricks, two techniques um, where they can put the sperm and the egg together, okay? Um, one technique is called intrauterine insemination. They call it IUI for short, okay? And IUI is sort of a, it's an upgraded sort of version of the old turkey baster technique, okay? Basically, you, uh, uh, you, put the woman typically is going to be put on medication, oral medication to try and stimulate ovulation. Uh, And then when the woman ovulates, a specimen is collected from the guy. He produces a specimen. They process that specimen and they inject it up through the cervix and into the uterus. So it's intrauterine insemination. Um, One IUI cycle, one attempt at IUI, um, is usually gonna have about a 15% success rate, okay? So in theory, you may have to try for a few months of doing IUI before statistically you may end up with a pregnancy, okay? Um, IVF, on the other hand, um, for individuals who are sort of unfamiliar with what is involved, IVF actually involves extracting eggs from the woman's ovaries and then taking sperm, the guy gives sperm in a specimen, and then in the lab, the sperm and the egg are put together. And once it's- I'm sorry. Yeah, so they put it back together in the lab, and once it's like successful there, they put it in the woman's body, correct? Okay, so typically what happens is, I'm sorry, say it again. Sorry, to break it down, it's typically because the woman isn't able to ovulate and like release the egg herself. Yeah, but they also want to try and increase the chances for a successful cycle. So under normal circumstances, when a woman ovulates, she makes one egg. Each month that she ovulates, one egg is produced. Sometimes it's from the right ovary. Other times it's from the left ovary. Okay. Rarely a woman might produce two eggs. And if they both fertilize, she's going to end up with fraternal twins, not identical twins, right? But typical month, a woman is going to make one egg. Okay. When they do IVF, they give the medication to women to the woman to make her ovaries just go into like crazy overdrive, okay? So that during that month that she's taking those medications, her ovaries might make 10, 12, 15, 20 eggs. Wow. All at the same time. They watch those eggs develop using ultrasound. And then when the eggs are ready, they extract them with a needle procedure. The woman has to be under anesthesia for that. Um, and so they extract those eggs. Now in the lab, you've got 20 eggs and they're floating in a dish of fluid. And under the microscope, they either just pour the sperm into the same dish and let the sperm actually find the eggs and fertilize them on their own. Mm-hmm. Or 
there's a technique that's called ICSI, I-C-S-I, intracytoplasmic sperm injection. And what they do in the lab in that case is they take the, the egg under the microscope, they hold it still, and they put one sperm and they inject one sperm into that egg. And so if you've got 20 eggs, all you need is 20 sperm. So this ICSI technique is really good for guys who have extremely low sperm counts Hmm. where you can only get maybe a few hundred sperm. But whether you allow the eggs to fertilize naturally in the dish, in other words, under the sperm's own power, or you inject the sperm, typically you're going to get about a 70% fertilization rate. So if you start off with 20 eggs, you'll probably end up the next day with under the microscope, you check them the next morning, 14 of them have fertilized. Mm. And then they put them back in the, in the incubator and they check them 24 hours later. And as the eggs develop over the course of several days, you're going to lose a few along the way because mm. now you got embryos. Okay. And maybe on the first day, it's only four cells. And on the second day, it's eight cells. And then by the third day, it might be 12 or 14 cells. So the, the embryo is, is growing. And typically they then wait until either anywhere from day three to day five of embryo growth to then take the embryo and put it back into the woman's uterus. So that technique in, v- in vitro fertilization, IVF, okay, depending on the woman's age, um, the best centers around the country, some, some centers have fertilization and, and pre- pregnancy rates between 50 and 60% of hmm. cycles will result in a pregnancy, okay? But it's, it's expensive. It carries certain risks. There are drugs that you have to take by injection, okay? The fertility drugs for an IVF cycle, uh, the woman has to you know, take injections. So IVF has some real advantages, but it's not the only solution for women with PCOS. Yeah. I mean, you, you mentioned the 50 to 60% for some women, they may be like, Oh, that's like a, I have a 50% chance of getting pregnant. That's probably better than what I'm doing now. But I think uh, what's really important to highlight is like, like being patient, waiting for waiting for like uh, things to come to fruition, like results, like being patient with what you're doing. Right. Well, the, the, the key thing to, to recognize here is that whether it's IUI or IVF, neither of those techniques address the underlying issues mm-hmm. in women with PCOS, okay? And so what are those underlying issues? This gets back to the things we talked about in the last podcast, mm-hmm. okay? Insulin resistance, excess testosterone in the bloodstream, okay? All of those metabolic issues um, make um, a pregnancy, once it's achieved, riskier. Okay. So women with PCOS here's a a perfect example. Women with PCOS, when they do get pregnant, they've got three times the risk of developing what's called gestational diabetes. Okay. Now gestational diabetes means that late in the pregnancy, the woman actually becomes diabetic. Okay. And, um, having PCOS and having sort of pre-existing insulin resistance makes the risk of gestational diabetes much higher, okay? And so a woman who just goes through IVF and they don't think about the underlying insulin resistance, they don't think a lot at all about these metabolic issues, she's gonna have greater risks. And in fact, it's been shown 
So for instance, going back to the inositols, a woman who, let's say, say she's going through IVF, a woman who takes ovacetol and then continues ovacetol, and she takes the ovacetol during the, the time of IVF, not only are the chances of a successful IVF cycle better, but if she continues it through her pregnancy, her risk of gestational diabetes drops in half. So addressing the underlying metabolic issues in women with PCOS is something that is real important, even when somebody, uh, even when a couple may be going through IUI or IVF. Unfortunately, the there isn't enough resources in mainstream um, medicine for the women with PCOS to know that they can achieve fertility through addressing the underlying issues. Oftentimes they're handed birth control. And then the next thing they're handed is Clomid. And then if that doesn't work, they show up at the IVF clinic, they've run out of patients, they're exhausted. And maybe they had no idea that there were other solutions before this. Can you tell us about their experience once they show up at the IVF clinic and how, you know, how their process, what their state is and what yeah, the experience is like for them? I, I think the, the, the safest thing to say is that it varies widely. Um, there are some IVF clinics that take a, um, a really well thought out, um, holistic and multidisciplinary approach to women with PCOS. Uh, they have nutritionists and dietitians on staff. Um, they, you know, they, they talk about weight management. And in fact, there are many um, uh, IVF practices that, that have BMI limits. In other words, they won't allow a woman with a, above a certain uh, uh, body mass index to undergo IVF because of the increased risks. Um, that's a bit controversial in the field um, because. Can you tell us? Yeah, can What's you that? expand? Can you expand on why it's controversial? Because you told us earlier, and like it's it's really mind blowing when you when you hear about the statistics. Um. Well, look. It's controversial because there's data, I think, in both directions. There's data that basically does say um, that women who have a, a very high body mass index, obese women, um, have slightly greater risk of undergoing anesthesia, okay? Uh, they have uh, greater risks uh, of a poor response to some of these medications that have to be used. And the other thing, is that the chances of a successful pregnancy are lower for women who have very high BMI. Now, the fertility world is one of the only specialties in medicine that actually sort of has public grading, okay? And what we mean by that is that there's actually a website and, and you know any individual who's looking around for help in the fertility world should know about this website. It's, so, it's called the Society for Assisted Reproductive Technology or SART, S-A-R-T, dot org, O-R-G. And you go to the SART website and it'll say, there's a, one of the drop-down menus says, find a clinic. And so you, you drop down and you pick your state and it opens up a list of all the fertility clinics 
in that particular state. And each clinic has to, has to report their data to SART. And so you can actually compare, let's say you live in a state and it turns out there's 12 different fertility practices in that state. Their data is reported in a standardized way. So you can say, okay, women from the age of uh, 26 to 30, what's their pregnancy rates? And you can look at this clinic versus that clinic, okay? Um, one of the things that is the mark of a, of a better fertility clinic is how, what their rate is of what we call high order births. Now, you know, every so often there'll be a story on the news and there'll be like a big press conference at some medical center somewhere. And there's, you know, a, a bunch of doctors and there's a woman who's now just given birth to septuplets. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's like, oh my God, you know, the babies are all in the NICU and, and everybody is doing well and everything. And in the fertility world, everybody is just shaking their heads. And the reason is because that's a disaster. Okay. It almost never happens naturally. It's always because of uh, poor fertility treatment. So, you know, the Octomom, okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Remember the Octomom? I mean, it's a number of years already. I think our kids are teenagers by now, but yeah. you know, this is a woman who had IVF and gave birth to eight babies at the same time. And she happened to see a crazy IVF doctor who put, you know, like six embryos in and two of them split. And, you know, it was like really nuts. So the point here is you can go to the SART website and they will tell you how many of the deliveries, how many of the cycles, the, the couples that went through IVF ended up with twins or triplets? It used to be that the mark of a good IVF center was how low, not only their pregnancy rates, but how low was their rate of triplets or worse? In other words, three babies, four babies, five babies at a time, okay? Now we've reached a point where it's twins or worse, okay? You don't want the, the, the push in the IVF world at this point is singleton births. In other words, one baby at a time, mm. because the risk of a woman who has to, to a woman having twins is significantly greater than having one baby at a time. And then once you get to three babies, four babies, it's just off the charts. So yeah. the point is um, you can get all of this information from the SART website. Okay. Yeah. Um, and compare and you, yeah. clinic. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, I was just, no. just going to mention, so like when you consider that there is some sort of a website that has all the data, then now the IVF clinics know that whatever results come out of their clinic is going to impact the website. So when they see a woman with high BMI, or maybe um, they're going to know, oh, it's a higher risk. Oh, That's if this doesn't go my way, it's going to affect our numbers. It's going to affect our possible, I mean, quote unquote sales, if you want to say that way. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that's, that's a little more cynical view of it, but, but that in the back, listen, that has to be in, in a consideration in the clinic's mind. Listen, there's, there's the other thing is this, if you look at the SART data for most clinics, when they, and they break it down by the woman's age. Okay. Once a woman is past the age of say 42, okay, 42, 43, the pregnancy rate for, for an IVF cycle is, you know, in single digits, okay? It's really low, okay? And so most, if not every IVF clinic, every, every fertility practice has an upper age limit where they would allow the woman to do IVF with her own eggs. Mm -hmm. um, and the reason is, yeah, your numbers are, the pregnancy rate is so low, it's just unethical. 
to tell a woman, yeah, sure, come on, well, you're 44, we'll, we'll try and get some eggs from you and see if we can uh, do an IVF cycle and, and get your baby. You know, the chances of that succeeding are tiny, okay? Uh, and so what typically will happen is uh, past the age of 42, 43, most IVF practices uh, will only allow a couple to use donor egg, okay? Um, and then, then there's an upper age limit for how old a woman can be before they'll say, listen, even with donor egg, you know, uh, once you're past, let's say, I don't know, 48, 49, you know, then you got to use a surrogate. Okay. Yeah. You got to, you got to find somebody else to carry the pregnancy because the risks are too high. So they're balancing all of these factors mm -hmm. in an IVF clinic. Um, and unfortunately women with PCOS, um, there's, the additional consideration of their metabolic issues that underlie, um, uh, you know, their fertility problem. Um, so you can't look at it in a vacuum. You have to look at it more holistically and, and uh, you know, make sure the woman's taking um, a really good prenatal, make sure the woman's vitamin D level is good. Um, you know, uh, and again, a woman who has PCOS and wants to try and restore normal ovulation, if she's in the hands of somebody, of a, of, a, of, a, of a physician or a clinic that is taking that sort of more global holistic approach um, and she's not pushing the age limit in terms of egg quality. You know, the problem is that once a woman gets past the age of say 36, 37, you start to see a decline in the quality of the eggs that she's producing. It's not that she won't produce an egg and ovulate. It's just that the quality of the egg, the genetic material inside the egg starts to become uh, less reliable. And so the ability of that egg to fertilize and grow into an embryo becomes compromised. Yeah. So that's why women over the age of 37, 38, people think, well, oh, I'm 40, but I'm still getting my period. That's not the issue. It's not whether or not you're ovulating, it's the quality of the eggs that you're producing each month, okay? Mm -hmm. So as I was saying, when, when a woman is older like that, and you gotta be careful how you define older, <laughs> um, but for women past the age of say 36, 37, beyond that, um, uh, you, know, you, you, you don't have the luxury of saying, hey, let's work for six months to try and get your ovulation regulated. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's typically, you know, you want to press ahead. Um, and women with PCOS, um, also struggle with egg quality and ovulation, just like women who are over that age mm -hmm. limit. So are there supplements that they can take to help with their egg quality? And I know there's a great prenatal supplement that can help while yeah. they're trying to get pregnant. Yeah, I mean, speaking of the underlying issues, I think this is a perfect segue into like how they can actually get down to the sure. root cause. So I think most women who are thinking about conceiving are aware of prenatal vitamins. Um, and this is particularly an issue for women with PCOS. The prenatal vitamins that if you go to the, the corner drugstore or you go to Amazon and you look for a prenatal vitamin, the prenatal vitamins that are sold for the most part are designed for women who are already pregnant. Mm -hmm. The nutrient content of those prenatals includes things like extra iron, okay? Because when you're pregnant, 
as you get into your pregnancy, you need more and more iron as the baby grows. Many women late in their pregnancy become iron deficient. Okay. And so, you know, the government's regu- uh, I'm sorry, the government's recommendations as to how much iron intake there should be, right, uh, on a daily basis is much higher for a woman who's pregnant than it is for a woman who's not pregnant and just getting her period every month. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, you know, and then the iron recommendations for men who don't get a period every month and lose the iron that way are even lower. Okay. Men so or women? Sorry. What's that? They're lower than, uh, than the recommendations would be for uh, a woman. Right. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. So the, the point I'm, I'm getting at here is a woman with PCOS who may be trying to conceive naturally. Okay. Using ovocetol perhaps to try and restore normal, regu- uh, you know, uh, regular periods. Um, she needs to be on a prenatal. Okay. And I'll, we'll talk a little bit about some of the other nutrients that are typically going to be in the prenatal and why they're important. But the key is she doesn't need extra iron. In fact, too much iron is going to be bad for her. Okay. Mm-hmm. Not only is it constipating, um, but it can cause stomach upset. Uh, there's even some data that shows that excess iron causes uh, increased oxidation of the egg and damage to the egg. So you don't want during a preconception time frame, when you're not pregnant yet, you don't want a prenatal design for pregnancy. Mm. Um, and virtually every one that you can buy on Amazon or at the corner drugstore is designed for women who are already pregnant. So it's got lots of iron in it. And it'll typically contain um, DHA, which is an omega-3 fatty acid. And DHA is a perfectly great, I mean, it, you know, it doesn't present any dangers. Um, but the point is that it makes the prenatal much more expensive to have DHA yeah. in it. And you don't need the DHA until you're pregnant. Okay. Mm. Why do so, they do that? Like, It's sort of a one size fits all type of approach. Uh, in other words, what we did at Theralogics, what we did uh, a number of years back is, you know, we focused on the fertility market. Okay. Uh, and what we realized was that women who are going through fertility treatment where they may be in treatment for three months, six months, nine months, trying to conceive. Maybe they're going to go through multiple cycles of IUI. Maybe they're trying to conceive naturally uh, with intercourse. Um, They don't need all that extra iron. They don't want to be taking a gestational prenatal. We say a a prenatal for pregnancy, we call that a gestational prenatal Mm -hmm. because gestation Mm -hmm. is, you know, the nine months during pregnancy. And so we develop prenatal vitamins that are focused on women who are trying to conceive. So it's got lower amounts of iron. I mean, this is especially important in a woman who's not getting her period. Okay. If you're going months without a period, um, technically during those months, you shouldn't be taking in all that extra iron. You're not losing the iron because you're not getting your period. Mm -hmm. Um, And so our prenatals are focused on, on, women trying to conceive and especially PCOS women trying to conceive. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then the question is, are there, you, you asked a moment ago, are there other nutrients that can help um, uh, with egg quality and, and fertility? And the answer is yes, there, there are. Um, I will say that um, the, the nutrient that probably gets the most attention from obstetricians uh, in terms of prenatal vitamins is what's called folate 
or folic acid, okay? Um, and the reason why folic acid or folate, uh, which is sort of the activated form of, of folic acid, the reason why that's so important is because if, if a woman is deficient in her levels of, of folate in her body, the risk of having a baby with what's called a neural tube defect goes up. Neural tube defects are things like spina bifida, okay? And it was recognized probably 20, 25 years ago that if you supplement adequate amounts of folic acid or even better activated folic acid, which is folate, um, you can dramatically reduce the risk of having a baby with spina bifida. So most obstetricians are focused on that, but we've been trying for years to also try to get them to focus on vitamin D yeah. because a typical prenatal is only going to have maybe 400 units, 800 units of vitamin D. Yeah. And that's not just not enough. Yeah. It's really important for ovarian function, correct? Vitamin D. Absolutely. It, it, it's not only important for ovarian function and for, um, and for uh, women with PCOS, but once you're pregnant, having a normal vitamin D level in your blood um, is, is critical. Okay, so vitamin D is one of the only vitamins where you can go into your doctor's office and get a routine blood test to check your level of vitamin D in your blood. We call that test a 25-OHD, hmm. okay, or 25-hydroxy-D. And it's inexpensive, it's a simple tube of blood, um, and they basically can tell you whether your vitamin D level is super low or it's in the normal range. And the point is that having a normal vitamin D when you're trying to conceive improves your chances for conception. But then once you're pregnant, having a normal vitamin D level lowers your risk of preeclampsia. It lowers your risk of bacterial vaginosis. These are complications of pregnancy. It lowers your risk of a preterm delivery of a premature birth. Okay. Um, so Vitamin D is critical for yeah. normal fertility and normal pregnancy. Our prenatals, because they focus again on the fertility aspect of things, um, our preconception prenatals have 2000 units of vitamin D, um, which really kind of separate them out from everybody else's sort of prenatals. And the gestational prenatals are, we, we have prenatals both for before you conceive and then once you're pregnant. Mm. And the prenatals that we have for once you're pregnant, they've got 3,000 units of vitamin D per day, see. along with DHA and other nutrients that are important once you're pregnant. Yeah. So getting on a good prenatal um, for somebody who's trying to conceive is absolutely critical. You do not want to wait until you're pregnant. This is a real problem. That whole yeah. thing with folic acid and spina bifida, that part of the baby's spine finishes development eight weeks in. Wow. So by the eighth week of pregnancy, the spine, the spinal column is, is finished sort of fusing. And so the risk of spina bifida after eight weeks, your folate level doesn't matter. It's too late. So you've got to have good folate in your system before that time. So you need to start a prenatal when you're trying to conceive, don't wait until you're pregnant. Um, it's, a it's a real problem. A lot of women, they walk into their obstetrician's office, they haven't been taking a, a prenatal vitamin and they'll say, I think I'm pregnant. Okay, now 
that's not an issue with a lot of PCOS patients. But the point is, you want to be on a prenatal before you conceive. Yeah, I love how you're, it's like a very specific to the, to the needs. Is it before getting pregnant or is it during the gestational period? Because you want to be specific to what you need. Like you, you don't want to take everything under the kitchen sink just to get pregnant because it's not, a lot of it may not be what you need and you're going to pay like an arm and leg mm-hmm. extra when you could just get that one specific yeah. thing to get pregnant first and then move on to the next stage of supplements. If No, absolutely. One other nutrient I should mention, uh, getting back to uh, your question, Siraka, and that is, uh, a specific nutrient that can improve egg quality is coenzyme Q10, CoQ10. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is especially important for uh, women past the age of say 35, 36, because the, um, the decline in egg quality in the genetic material inside the egg, the DNA, um, that decline in DNA quality can be slowed and the egg quality improved by supplementing with coenzyme Q10 in the months prior to conception. Mm. And so um, our, at Theralogics, our preconception prenatals is basically two of them, okay? There's one which is called CORE, and it is one tablet a day, okay? It's got 2000 units of vitamin D, it's got a uh, uh, thousand micrograms of uh, methylated folate. Um, it has the amount of iron that you want prior to conception. Okay. Um, and it's one tablet a day and it's pretty inexpensive. Um, the other preconception prenatal is that same core tablet plus coenzyme Q10 in a soft gel. Actually, it's two soft gels with that core tablet. So you're not only taking the core tablet with all those vitamins and minerals, the D, the folate, um, but you're also taking coenzyme Q10 to improve egg quality. Mm -hmm. And so that prenatal is called Ovavite. That is intended for women over the age of 35, 36 years of age. So I see. Okay. So if it was for someone maybe a bit younger, whose egg quality might not be um, as low, they would go for something like Theracore. And then if they, it's not there, it's just, it's just cool, called core, oh, theranatal, oh. theranatal core, core. Okay. Yeah. And then Ovavite is the one for women past the age of 35, 36, either one of those, uh, would be perfectly, uh, uh, sort of appropriate for a woman with PCOS who's trying to conceive. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we should mention that when Theralogic has a great support line. So if, if sisters, if you want to call and ask them direct questions about the core versus Ovovite and where you are, like they'll be very yeah. happy to help you with, uh, with you. Support you through your pregnancy process. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Also, there's also melatonin, correct? Uh, melatonin. Yeah. Has a, no, a you know, I was going to, I was going to bring that up, but you know, sometimes it seems like, Oh my goodness, you know, there's all these different things. <laughs> yeah. you know, which one should I take and which shouldn't I take? Um, yeah, so melatonin, you know, everybody always thinks about melatonin as being just for sleep, you know, I'm, I'm going to take some melatonin because I can't get to sleep at night, right? Um, and melatonin is a really interesting uh, compound. Technically, it's a hormone. Melatonin is actually produced in our brain. We make our own melatonin. Mm-hmm. And um, technically, it's intended to sort of make you sleepy. And your brain yeah. starts to make melatonin when the light level drops and you're supposed to get sleepy from it and go to sleep. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. Melatonin is also 
uh, a very strong antioxidant and anti-inflammatory. Um, and just as totally sort of parenthetically, a complete aside here, um, it has dramatic benefits in immune health. And a study was published two weeks ago by the Cleveland Clinic, which, you know, the Cleveland Clinic has this huge healthcare system in Ohio. And so over the course of time, uh, since the past six months, they've done something like 400,000 COVID tests. And so they took all the data from those hundreds of thousands of COVID tests and they did this computer algorithm and extracted the data to see which patients that came in for a COVID test had a positive test and you know had, had COVID and who didn't. Mm -hmm. And what were the risk factors? And what they discovered was people who were taking melatonin had a 32% reduction in risk of testing positive for COVID. Wow. So, I mean, and, and actually then they even stratified it further. Individual African-Americans had a 52% risk, risk reduction. Wow. So melatonin does some very cool stuff. Um, yeah. But one of the things it actually does is it helps egg quality. Mm -hmm. And it's been shown that um, melatonin plus inositols um, are better than inositols alone. Mm -hmm. So melatonin is pretty inexpensive stuff. I mean, you can, yeah, it's you can really get, cheap. yeah, we, we make um, a very high quality melatonin. It's called theratonin. Uh, you may be seeing the pattern here of thera, a lot of, <laughs> a lot of thera products, but, uh, and it's actually very important to, um, to look for a, 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 a high quality product. There was actually a study published two years ago uh, out of uh, a university in Canada where they went out and they bought, I think, 30 melatonin products in North America, uh, you know, so it's sold over the counter and they had them tested and they found something like 70% of them were mislabeled, um, that the amount of melatonin in each dose was incorrect, mm -hmm. not what they claimed on the label. And like something like 25% of them were contaminated with serotonin, which you do not want. Yeah, especially in a, in a pregnancy or a fertility time frame. So you want to get, if you're going to get a melatonin product, and actually if you want to get any type of fertility supplement or prenatal vitamin that's over the counter, you want it to be independently content certified. Yeah. Okay. So because yeah, the supplement industry uh, has more than a share of fly by night bad actors. Mm -hmm. um, and so there's two programs might've mentioned this in the last um, uh, podcast. There's actually two nonprofit programs in the United States that will certify the content, uh, the, uh, the content accuracy and purity of dietary supplements. So one of those products is, I'm uh, sorry, one of those programs is called USP and the other one is called NSF, mm -hmm. okay? Uh, Theralogics, we've were actually the very first company to ever go into the NSF program 18 years ago. Um, every one of our products goes through NSF content certification. That's amazing. Um, and so I believe our, our Theratonin is the only melatonin product that's independently content certified in the United States. Yeah. Uh, wow. So that's something, if you're gonna go to the drugstore and you're gonna look for any kind of dietary supplement, you really should restrict your, your choices to something that either has the USP logo or the NSF logo on it. Is that great you know advice? You're, yeah, you're getting what you think you are. Yeah, it's amazing. 
Awesome. Have any other questions? Sorry? No, that was that's a great overview of fertility, IVF, and the other options that women with PCOS have. Yeah, the ins and outs, like mm-hmm. the struggles that a lot of people go through when they when they um, go through IVF clinics, as well as supplements that people can buy over the counter from Theralogics. Uh, for those listening, we'll put the links in our bio or in the podcast description, and you can use our code for 15% off on those products. But I mean, uh, this was a great episode. Thank you, Dr. Mark Grander yes, for explaining you. everything so well, like always. Fair enough. Take care, guys. Talk thank to you. Soon. You too. Talk Bye-bye. to you soon. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, you have to come check out The Sisterhood. It's my monthly membership site where sisters just like you are learning how to move through the stages of PCOS. From stage one, cold and alone at the doctor's office, to stage five, nailing the PCOS lifestyle, gluten and dairy free. Get ready to finally feel in control of your body again.